All right. Well, today we are in 1 Samuel 17. And I know I say this a bunch, but I'm just trying to help you guys with your Bible trivia. It's easy to remember 1 Samuel 17 is David and Goliath because David was probably around 17 when all this happened. He may have been a little bit younger, but some of the words they use reflects on it being about 17. And uh, the, other, the other funny thing I want to say, I told, I told Cindy this earlier. Sometimes when I prepare for a sermon, I'm, I'm, I'm looking over notes and I'm reading commentaries and I'm like, you know what, I think I have studied this thing to death. Like I can't, I can't put any more into this because I've, I've covered it all. This is the opposite where there, uh, there, there's so much cool archaeology and study and commentary and, and more commentary on the showdown between David and Goliath that if I had six years, I, I couldn't cover all of it to talk about it enough, which is just, it's really exciting. So, so with that said, this will not be exhaustive. We won't be here till 2.30 today. <laughs> Verse 1. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle. Oh boy. They were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Soko and Ezekiah in Ephes de And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah, and they drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. Basically, the armies have arrived, right? The battle is about to happen. Uh, we've talked in past weeks where Jonathan went out and he would wipe out this group of Philistines, wipe out that group of Philistines, have this big old fight. Saul always took credit for it, although we don't have any evidence of Saul actually fighting in any of these battles. And more and more Philistines are coming to fight and to have war. Early on, when Saul first became king, he did lead. I got to give him credit for that. He did lead those with the people that were going to gouge the guy's eyes out, right? And they called all of Israel together to help rescue them. Saul was there for that. So this is a huge battle. They're on different hillsides. There's this giant valley in between. And they can all see across to the camps, to each other's side. They can see how big they are. There came out from the camp of the Philistines, this is verse 4, a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. So depending on which translation you have, depends on how tall Goliath is. And this is because, and you probably have a footnote that will say how big a cubit is. And a cubit, and even that is really silly. So a cubit is from your elbow to the tip of your finger. So my cubit is different than Caleb's cubit, right? We're all going to have everybody in here. We're probably, if we, since we know about millimeters, we'll have different sized cubits. So as they're copying this down, as the scribes are copying it, some of them are like, I want to help people out. Because nobody knows what a cubit is. So some of your translations might say how many feet tall he is. And if they're saying how many feet 
tall he is, then they're saying how tall a cubit is. My footnote in the ESV says a cubit is 18 inches. Well, a cubit is 18 inches as long as the king has 18 inches from here to here. Because that's how you decided what a cubit was. Whatever the king's cubit was, was the cubit. You see where this gets kind of blurry. So sometimes when the scribes are copying it, they want to help out the people that are reading it. And so they would change, instead of copying word for word what the height was, they would make it into a reasonable and understandable measurement. So we have these manuscripts that give different lengths of measure that vary by about two and a half feet. <laughs> so he was either six feet tall or he was nine feet tall. Wait, hold on, it gets better. We have some more of that coming on here. His height was six cubits in a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head. He was armed with a coat of mail. The weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. Again, with the shekels. And you look in your footnote, and my footnote says, a shekel is 11 grams. And that doesn't do me any good, right? I don't know what a gram is. <laughs> so, so digging into this, Theoretically, he had about 120 pounds of this armor. And the thing that's crazy is that 5,000 shekels is describing his coat of mail. So it's, it's like um, the, the Philistines, they had these overlapping pieces of metal. It wasn't like, like woven, like we see knights with the chain mail that it's like woven metal. This was like scales. And um, so that thing weighs about like 120 pounds. That's not counting his helmet. That's not counting his gauntlets. That's not counting, he had a bronze armor on his legs. It's not counting the bronze armor on his legs. And a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear, that's not his javelin. He's got a javelin, but he's also got a spear, is like a weaver's beam. And his spear's head weighed 600 shekels. That's like 15 pounds. So think a bowling ball. Like the heavy, you know, you can get different sizes of bowling ball. The head of his spear is heavy like a bowling ball. Most hilarious sentence in this whole chapter is at the end of verse 7. And his shield bearer went before him. I don't know what job would be better, to be the shield bearer of Saul, who never goes into battle, or to be the shield bearer of Goliath, who does not need a shield bearer, right? However much this stuff weighed. Uh, oh, so to put it in perspective, I write blogs for veterans every day, right? Uh, current Afghanistan, Iraq army guy, carries between 150 and 200 pounds on his body during a mission. He's not nine feet tall. They're like six foot, right? These guys are not giants. They're not tall. They're carrying like 200 pounds. So it was only since World War I that soldiers have carried tons of stuff on them. Revolutionary War, Civil War, even ancient wars, 
They had an armor bearer. They had a guy carrying a cart with all their weapons, right? You, you see the old movies of warfare, like guerrilla warfare and sneaking around wasn't a thing. You'd line up in rows and do all that. So in this day and age of Goliath, for him to have this much armor weighing this much, he's like a weapon of mass destruction. He is, he is completely out of the range of any normal fighting person. He is completely, if you are fighting against him, you are completely hopeless. It is the most hopeless, ridiculous fight ever. He's carrying a javelin like, like it's a decoration. He has a spear that, yeah, he, he is armed. So think that way about it. Think, not only is he huge, just this muscular, strong, trained in battle, professional soldier. He's super strong because he has all this armor. He, duh, he has all this armor, so he's also you know, protected in all different ways. Even his weapons, just to carry his weapons would, would annihilate you. So really get a sense of hopelessness about fighting him. So he comes out and he stands and he shouts at Israel, Why have you come up to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and are you not servants of Saul? He's basically saying, Why are you coming out to fight and you're not fighting me? Why, why did you come out here if you're not going to fight me? Come fight me. Choose a man for yourselves. Let him come down to me. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we'll be your servants. But if I prevail against him and I kill him, then you will be our servants and serve us. Again with the translation stuff. He says, uh, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we might fight together. Okay, that has just been so cleaned up for Sunday school, it's not even funny. He is blaspheming. He is cussing. He is insulting. He is so R-rated. It's just, you guys. He's a, well, okay, he's a sailor. He is shaming Israel. He is saying stuff about them that they, when they say he's defying, it. You, you just lose it, right? He is really offending some people. That's enough of that. That's enough me trying to stress that. But he's really offensive. I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all of Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. This is a show. This is a show because what... What nobody knows on either side, what Israel doesn't know, is how many of these guys does, do the Philistines have? If this is just one, if this is just their best guy, do they have a whole army of these? Do they have a whole platoon of these? That's, that's the scary thing, right? Hold on to that. because, And you know what happens, so I'm going to ruin it already. Is the, the Philistines don't know... If whoever they send out against Goliath, what if they have a whole platoon of those? 
What if they have a whole squad of those? They don't know. So it's kind of a guessing game and a strategy game of who are we sending out. Now David was the son of an Ephrathite of Benjamin and Judah named Jesse. But you already knew that. He had eight sons in the days Saul... Um, days of Saul, the man was already old and advanced in years. He's talking about Jesse. The three oldest sons of Jesse had followed Saul into battle. Remember it said that Saul gathered all the people that would follow him to fight with him? Three of the sons of Jesse went and fought with Saul. Wow, yeah. David was the youngest. And David goes back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. Now notice it says back and forth from Saul. So David has three jobs. <laughs> he's a kid. He's got three duties. One is to go play the harp for King Saul whenever King Saul gets crazy. And he plays the harp and he sings psalms. And that makes the pestering spirit that's on Saul go away. His other job, he's still taking care of the sheep of the family of Jesse. So he's out taking care of the sheep. And then sometimes when there's a battle like this, he leaves the sheep with an attendant and he takes food out to his brothers that are fighting on the front lines. They didn't have supply chains like we do with the military now. It was, you go fight, hopefully your mom's going to send you some food to eat so you can keep it going. For 40 days the Philistine came forward and took his stand morning and evening. So this whole standoff and this whole showdown has been going on every day since Easter, basically, for us. 40 days ago was Easter. Doesn't that seem like a long time ago? That long, every day, this shame, disgusting, blaspheming, cursing Philistine has been to your army. That's supposed to be the army of God. Oh, so aggravating, right? That would just be, you'd have a lot of those emotions. So basically, I'm going to skip through this part real fast. David comes, and one of the times that he's there delivering the food, out comes this Philistine. And if you're David, and you're the young guy, and you, oh man, what are my brothers doing? This is a war. I'm not allowed to go to war because I'm busy playing the harp for the king and I've got to take care of the sheep. And then there was that whole weird business where that prophet came and poured oil all over my head and proclaimed me as king of Israel. That's still in the back of his head here. So he wants to see what's happening. And out comes Goliath and does his thing. One of the days, David hears it. <laughs> All the men flee. This is the other part that cracks me up. This is happening every day for 40 days. They all come out to fight in the daytime. There used to be rules of engagement, rules of war, and it was just not good sportsmanship to fight at night. So you would quit fighting at night when it got dark and go back to your camp. And then when the sun came up, you'd come out and be like, all right, now we're going to have a war. So they come out, out comes the Philistine, he says all of his stuff, and they all run and flee and hide. So every day they come out, ah, Goliath's still here, let's hide, and then they go hide again. Gosh. Well, David sees it. 
he sees Goliath. And he's like, this is not right. You guys, what are you doing? You're our army. We serve the God of Israel. This, he calls him uncircumcised Philistine. Oh gosh, like if this ever got made into TV, it'd totally be rated R. Because he is using all kinds of curse words towards Goliath. Like David, yes. David is like, who is this blankety blank Philistine? That's what he is saying. Oh, nobody would be offended at that. They all think he's a blankety blank Philistine, right? But that's, that's what's written in here. Who is this guy? And everybody's like, oh man, the king is going to pay riches to whoever kills that dude. Oh, the king, he's going to give his daughter to whoever kills that dude. Oh, the king, all this stuff about how the king isn't doing it. Do you notice that? King Saul, who's like been anointed to bring Israel together to help people follow God. The king is going to send in a check to help out whoever actually does something. It's terrible. Goes down, verse 28, Eliab gets mad at David. What are you asking? What are you caring about? Give us our cheese and go back home and take care of the sheep. Who's taking care of the sheep? Who made you boss? He's got, he was there when David got anointed as king. So Eliab has to have a little bit of confusion and bitterness here, right? Well, Saul finds out that David is walking around asking about this blankety-blank Philistine. And Saul is like, dude, that dude can play the harp. And evil leaves me alone when he plays the harp. I want to know, I wanna, there's something about this kid. So he brings him in. And he says, what it, I mean, what are you doing? And uh, this is verse 31. When the words, oh, yeah. They repeated before Saul, sent for him. David says to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Don't let anybody be afraid of this guy. None of us. We are Israel. We are sons of the living, or, you know, we're God's chosen people. Let's not be afraid. Saul said to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. You're a kid. He's been a man of war since his youth. What's really funny is you're a kid and from his youth, they're the same word. So basically, you can't go fight him because you're a kid. He's been a warrior since he was your age. Maybe David's about ready to become a warrior, right? David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. This isn't a lion's coming and David is defending the sheep. This is a lion took a sheep away and David chased that sucker down and fought it and got the sheep back. A bear, a lamb, I went after him, I struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Whoa. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised blankety-blank Philistine shall be like one of them, because he has defied the armies of the living God. Wow. 
So David, he is not, I threw rocks at lions when they came towards my sheep. He is, they took my sheep, I went after that lion and killed it and brought my sheep back. So Saul is like, go, may the Lord be with you. He's convinced Saul. Something about David, something about his song singing, right? Because he's been singing these psalms to Saul, and and Saul is convinced. He clothes David in his armor. So he gives Saul gives David his armor. Which would be really nice because it's never been used. Okay, I need to lay off Saul jokes. But he gives him his armor. And he dresses up in it and he walks around and he says, I can't go with this stuff. I've never tested. I've never tried this stuff. I don't even know how this works. Takes off all of his armor. Gosh. All right. You know what happens. He goes, takes his staff in his hand, five smooth stones from the brook, puts them in his shepherd's pouch, and he approaches the Philistine. This, this just this scene is so crazy, you guys. It's, we've heard, he's got, you know, hundreds of pounds of armor, a helmet, chain, or the, these, these scales, a, a dude carrying a shield in front of him, a giant spear with a bowling ball point on the front that it wouldn't go through you, it would just annihilate you. It would just crush you, right? And out walks this dude that, like, just got his driver's license. And he comes out and he doesn't have any armor. He's dressed like a shepherd. It's like, gosh. And he walks down and they're meeting and all the Philistines are watching this. And like, let's really give them the benefit of the doubt. This is some kind of brilliant strategy, right? They're going to throw us off. They're going to send this kid out here and somebody's going to sneak around. Or the way they thought, they thought this is laughable. This is the best Israel has is a little boy with a, with a shepherd pouch and a stick. Oh my. When the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. He's this like handsome little Ken doll coming out to fight me. The Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? That's one of my favorite lines. That's how it's like, now it's become offensive. Like if I'm, if I'm going to, if you invite me to your 50th wedding anniversary and you're going to have this, you know, you rented, you got caviar and all of this business. And I send one of my neighbor kid dudes to come in my place and he's got a I'm with stupid t-shirt on. You're going to be like, you don't even respect me. You just sent some squirrely kid to come eat all my food. That's how this is offensive. This is, we aren't even going to waste a a warrior on you. We're going to send out the cheese boy to come stand in front of you. Oh, it makes Goliath that much more angry. Come on, kid. I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to feed you to the vultures. The dogs are going to clean off your bones. Then David said to the Philistines, You come to me with a... I can't read this. I can only read this in Junior Asparagus's voice from the Veggie Tales. You come 
to me with a sword and a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give the bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, so that the world may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand." So bold, talking to a walking weapon of mass destruction that's impenetrable, unbeatable, and he's nothing. What what is great about this is this is our sin. This is sin and death because none of us can beat it. I I was talking to a buddy after our whole, um, you know, working with some people and doing some things and just the way they acted, and it was just hard to change people. And a friend of mine, he said, if you're trying to change people, you can't change people. I've been trying to change myself for 35 years, and I can't change who I am. You just got to let the Lord do it. The Lord's the one that does it. For us to change our fallen, the sinful world, the way that we live, our habits, it's like fighting an eight-foot-tall, 500 pound warrior we don't stand a chance it feels impossible and hard right remember how i said this is a half of a mind game because the philistines send out this guy and israel doesn't know if every single how many warriors do they have like this well it's a representative battle and jesus has fought the representative battle for us So here's sin and death. And who can beat it? We're all going to die. We all stumble and commit sin. Who can beat that? And up walks Jesus. And he says, I have come. It's written about me in the scroll. I've come to do your will, O Lord. One man sinned and entered all of us into sin. One man came and lived a righteous and holy life. And because of him, we can all enter into that righteous and holy life. It's a representative battle. This representative battle of God's people versus the uncircumcised blankety blank Philistines is a representative battle for us of our lostness and our powerlessness And Jesus coming and saying, well, we're going to win. Who is, who are these evil people? What is this evil in the world? What is this sin and powerlessness? The Philistine arose and comes and draws near to David. So David says, I'm going to feed your carcass. I'm going to chop your head off and I'm going to feed your carcass to all these birds. And everybody's going to know there's a God in Israel. Basically, he took all that blasphemy that Goliath had and just shoved it right back down his throat. Quit blaspheming the Lord of hosts. Hosts always means army in all these. I don't know how it came to mean ho- be translated as hosts, but the Lord of the armies is about ready to serve you for lunch to the birds and the dogs. 
Philistine rose, came to meet David. David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet the Philistine. He didn't even run away. This is the first time in 40 days there's been an Israelite that did not run away. This is all Goliath knows is, Phil, is Israelites running. This one's running towards him. David put his hand in his bag, took out a stone, slung it, and struck the Philistine in his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the ground. No mention of the shield guy. <laughs> I think he's gone. I think he left. Uh, he would not have been able to stop that, that rock. So, uh, yeah. It's like a pound. It's like a baseball and it weighs a pound, and it, yeah, gross. David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, struck the Philistine, killed him. There's no sword in the hand of David. David runs up, stands over the Philistine, took out his sword, drew it out of its sheath, and killed him, and cut off his head with it. So David runs up, grabs Goliath's sword, lops Goliath's head off, and wins. All the Philistines are watching this. What was that like? What was that like for Israel to watch? Watch Goliath fall. It would have been like Easter morning, you guys. Big deal. At the, all the men, when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. Because they didn't have a whole platoon of Goliaths. And if Israel has a whole platoon of dudes that can throw a rock like that and kill Goliath, we are done for. The other thing that's funny is, remember the deal was, if I win, you all serve us and you're our slaves. If you win, we all serve you. Nobody ever agreed to that. That was never an agreement. And um, so they're like, we're not taking slaves. We're going to kill y'all. And that's what they do. David, uh, they fled. All the men of Israel rose and with a shout pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron. So the wounded Philistines fell on the way from Sherem as far as Gath and Ekron. And the people of Israel came back from the chasing the Philistines and they plundered their camp. It's not that Israel wasn't strong enough to beat the Philistines. They, as soon as they had faith and had confidence, they were able to do it. They weren't able to beat Goliath. There's a whole bunch of stuff we think we can't do, right? I mean, I don't want to make this a self-help motivational speech thing. But gosh, you guys, the church can do so much more than she does. We can follow Jesus into all kinds of neighborhoods, all kinds of homes. People of Israel came back. David took, this is one of my favorites, David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem and put his armor in his tent. David, 17, you know, young guy, takes Goliath's armor off and stashes it in his tent. What in the world? Takes Goliath's head, goes back to Jerusalem with it. It'll come up later and it'll say, David is still carrying around Goliath's head. <laughs> Classic teenager move, right? You know what this is? This is Goliath's head. You may have heard of him. <laughs> wow. As soon as Saul saw David go out against the Philistine, so rewind. When Saul saw David going, he's like, dude, he's doing it. He is going out against Goliath. 
He says, who is this kid? Where did this kid come from? Because he knows he's his harp player, but then he's more, you know, this kind of expression. Where, what in the world? And uh, so there's that little, you know, some Jesse. You guys, there's a hundred ways we could read this. And I think they're all right. And the Holy Spirit has, has help for us every time we read this, right? You might read through this and you pray and you're like, I, I'm in the spot of David. And I'm standing up against impossible things. And I'm relying on the Lord to fight for me. And that's, yes, the Lord is with you to help you. To help you triumph over sin, have victory. You might be one of those scared Israelites on the hillside. And you're like, I have no clue how to do this. I have no idea how to handle this thing in my life. And Jesus says, I'm your David. I'm, I'm going to fight for you. Jesus died on the cross. He conquered sin and death forever. And he rose from the dead. And he, he went even to people that denied that they knew him. Right? Peter. To people that, that weren't there for him. That didn't believe him in, in, in the most important time. Jesus still went to them and restored them and rebuilt them and healed them and gives them that victory. You might think everything's cool and you're impenetrable. You might be Goliath in this story. And that's really scary. And to just think, I am so good. I just have everything set for me. And I don't need anything. In that, don't blaspheme God. Give thanks. Give praise. Praise Him and worship Him. And thank Him that you are so secure. Praise Him and exalt Him that you are so strong because that strength all that armor all that stuff didn't do Goliath any good did it didn't do him a lick of good and then finally just the most awesome is how Jesus is such a picture of David back to the whole deal he is a character of the kind of person he's showing us what Jesus what Jesus is like He's not, he may not protect you from the lion. He may not protect you from hardship. But if you get dragged away, he will chase you down and rescue you from the lion's teeth. And then he killed the lion. So whatever horrible things we've been dragged through, whatever awful has, he's a pursuer. That's why he came in the flesh. He came as a man, flesh and blood to be tempted the way we were tempted to live the way we live but to be without sin so that he would have the power he would have the authority to grab us out of that terrible spot and rescue us and carry us to salvation the other cool thing about all of this nobody knows David's king yet what in the world he might still have oil on his head. They didn't take baths all the time. He might still smell like the stuff that Samuel dumped all over his head. We don't know what the time frame is. Here we are, you guys. We're Christians. We've been redeemed. We've been saved. We're exalted. We're the holy righteousness of God. It just doesn't feel like it sometimes, does it? We might put on the armor that a king would wear. We might try to dress up like a saint. I put on my white shirt. 
I don't feel like a saint on the inside. It doesn't fit me. And that is such a picture of our salvation. Because David is the king. And it doesn't matter if his brothers don't believe it. It doesn't brother matter that he's not sitting on a throne in Jerusalem giving out orders and getting a zillion wives. He is the king. And it's just a matter of time before it becomes true. You are holy, righteous, and redeemed. And you might not always act like it, and it might not always feel like it. But because of Christ, and you are in Christ, that is your identity. That is who you are. And it's only a matter of time until that's sealed and final and thorough. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for being our champion and fighting these fights for us. Thank you so much for empowering us and strengthening us when you use us to do the fight. Thank you so much that you rescue us when we are the sheep that are dragged off by a lion. That even then you run after us and pursue us. And thank you so much that if we are completely adorned in armor and we have no weakness and we are just as strong as can be, we give that praise and we give that glory to you for those times, Lord. We worship you. I pray that you would help us in every way, Lord, to live by your Holy Spirit, to have confidence in you and zeal for you like King David had. That we would speak up, that we would act, that we would pray, that we would run in the right direction as we do your will. We love you and we praise you, Lord. Amen. All right. Let's stand and sing number 201 together.
this week, seek out and be faithful to the living God. There are a lot of people that curse Him. You don't have to throw rocks at Him, but trust Him to fight your battles for you. God bless you. Thank you, sir. Thank you.